Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org.
whenever I go somewhere to speak, I pray that God will give me some kind of direction as to what to speak on. And um, I received an email this week um, about a controversial issue. This person was quite upset about a sermon they'd heard um, by a minister. Um, and I thought, okay, that's my that's my cue. <laughs> um, and I know I'm not going to please everybody here by talking about this because it is a bit of a controversial issue. It has to do with the name of God, the sacred name issue, uh, the third commandment. And so what I ask you to do, for those who may not see exactly the way I see the Bible, is that you listen with an open heart to understand where some of us are coming from, just to understand that perspective. You may not agree, and I think that that's a really important principle at all times. We're not always on the really essential issues, and maybe some would consider this an essential issue, but on the really essential issues, we have to be united. Uh, but there are issues that aren't essential, and on those issues we have to give ourselves a little bit of leeway on that, a little bit of liberty, and hopefully in the course of, of our discussion with one another, if it's civil and if it's really with the Christian spirit, with God's Holy Spirit, um, God will allow us at least to be in a fellowship where we can have peace together, where we can be united in spite of the fact that we might see some differences. Um, I... I it's interesting. I spoke on the Ten Commandments. I gave a whole series on the Ten Commandments over the course of a year in Kitchener, um, including the Third Commandment. So I'm I'm applying this now to the questions that came up in this email um, about somebody that was quite upset with um, a sermon that was given. But uh, the Third Commandment um, fits into the Ten. They, they dovetail together with one another. And as you go through them, it's quite fascinating as you um, meditate on it, as you study them, as you um, look the way God has linked them together. It's quite phenomenal when you go from the first commandment where, where God is talking about, um, he said, you know, there shall be no other gods before, before me. In other words, God's saying, I need to be number one. And then he says, in, in number two commandment, of course, he says, you shall have no graven Im- images. Make unto the, in you any graven images. Um, and and, uh, and uh, so because there's nothing really that can in any way convey who God is by manu- human, something humans manufacture. You'll only be doing God a discredit by doing that. And really, in one sense, there's only one being in the universe that can anyway give us an idea who God is, and that's Jesus Christ, who's the perfect, perfect representation of the Father. So then we come to the third one, which has um, in it, within this commandment, um, not to take the, the name of the Lord thy God in vain, not to take the name of the Yahweh, if that's the way it's pronounced, in vain. Your God in vain, and again, this is a, this is a matter of representing the eternal God. The, the name of God is a representation of the eternal God. When we look at at that particular, turn with me to Exodus 20. You could go there or Deuteronomy 5, whatever you want. But Exodus 20 is where where I'll go right now. When you look at this. 
And I don't know how long you've been sitting here. <laughs> um, and have you been here for an hour um, speaking? Have you, Adrian? Okay. I don't want to. I don't want to burden you with a long message. So I do, but I, I can. Yeah. What time is it now? Oh no, <laughs> no. So so if I'm if I'm done in 45 minutes, to yeah, okay, good. Um, I can I can I can taper it down to 45 minutes. Um, <laughs> So, so if we take this, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And, and then it goes on to say, to, to emphasize the importance of this, for, the, for, for, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. Very serious. If you take his name in vain, you'll be held guilty. It's interesting how you can take each of the commandments, and you could take this one and turn it around, and, and you, could, you could read it this way. Um, Take the name of the Lord thy God and be fru- make it fruitful. You could you could you could represent that commandment that way. God presents it uh, in a way that's presented in a negative way, but you could flip it around and you could present it in a, in a positive way. Take the name of the Lord thy God and make it fruitful. But if we take this the way God has written it here, because I don't plan on trying to improve on what God has said. <laughs> But but it's a different vantage point, and it helps maybe to understand. Uh, and un- and unpack it. Let's look at a, a few words here that are that are interesting. The word take. The word take. Sometimes we read through the word of God, and we have these preconceived ideas, and we just read over things, and we don't we don't break it up and digest it, and 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 uh, and uh, uh, examine it carefully. But if we take the word take, for example, and we'll go through some of these words, not every word, but the word take is an important word here. Um, it's from taken from the Hebrew word nasa, not nasa, but nasa. Um, and Strong's has, I don't always use Strong's, but in this case I use Strong's. It's got a whole list of potential definition of the word take. And when you put it within the context of what God is telling us here, some words stand out as being particularly valid for the, what the word take is. Um, I won't read through every one of these, but maybe I should. Well, the first, it says to lift. To lift. How does that fit into that equation? How does it fit into taking God's name? To lift. To raise it up. Um, that's the primary definition of this word but it can be translated into different things um, figuratively and literally it says here uh, one is to accept to advance those are those are the words that I've highlighted here I am going to skip through here because just for the sake of time to extol the name of the Lord your God the name of Yahweh your Adonai to extol, to hold up is another word that fits this beautifully. To marry. Oh, how does that fit in there? To, to marry. Well, you know what? It's, it's a take and to hold from this day forward. To marry, it's talking about a covenant, a covenant relationship. 
And if we take the name of the Lord your God, is it not talking about a covenant between um, you, between, between me and God? Magnify, another word, magnify. Raise up, receive, regard, respect. Those are all words that Nassau could be translated as. And, but the word written here, translated, of course, into the King James English, is take. But sometimes when we read that word take, it's misleading. Because there's much more to that word than just uh, understanding it the way we would in common English. There's much, much more to that. So I know that I'm going to just um, digress a little bit here. But generally speaking, when you hear somebody talk about the third commandment, about taking the name of the Lord thy God in vain, most people will talk about, for instance, I saw somebody recently, and um, he used the word, and I use it respectfully, Christ, but he used it in a sacrilegious way, in an in a, a irreligious way, in, in a, um, a frivolous way. Um, and they use Jesus, and they use the word God, and they use these terms that we honor and 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 uh, reverence, and they use it in such ways. And and most people would say, "Oh, that's what the third commandment is all about." Um, and to a lesser degree, that is true. But the primary commandment, the primary purpose that's conveyed in this commandment, is not necessarily that. It includes that. But it's certainly much more than that. The word, um, let me go to another word, to take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Vain, the word vain. Um, again, we would maybe t- talk about using it flippantly, the word, the word, the word of, of uh, even the word Yahweh or the word uh, uh, Jehovah or Yahweh. There are different ways that people will um, take the word Lord, capital L-O-R-D, and uh, they'll use that. Now, I have, I want to make it clear that um, if somebody were to close in prayer um, in the name of uh, Yeshua HaMashiach, if that's the way they close in prayer, I don't have a problem with that. I do not have a problem with that. So I'm not, I'm not criticizing people for doing that. Or if uh, I, I do think that it's interesting that in, uh, because in my background when I was in Worldwide, so that take us, takes us back quite a few years, um, I almost left Worldwide Church of God um, for a sacred name group because I thought that there was a conspiracy against his first four commandments. First of all, the first commandment I thought was going to be destroyed because they included a trinity. They, they, they became a trinity, not... Not they didn't talk about the one God. They talked about a Trinity, and then the second commandment, they eliminated. You know, we have um, Catholicism that has all kinds of idols, and they and they delegate the aspect of the, these uh, images to something something um, peripheral, so they can justify having these idols. And so, one of the largest Christian religions, if you want to call it as such, um, has. They have, they have idols, and they worship idols, and they bow before them, and they kiss their feet, and, and they pray to, to Mary and to others. Uh, so, uh, and then you get to the third commandment. It looks like there's a deliberate effort throughout the, the scriptures to eliminate the word Yahweh. It, it's always Lord. 
And the word Lord represents, um, you know, uh, we're talking about someone who is a uh, master, our master. And, and that happens to be true. But, but the word Lord, Yahweh, or Yahweh, or however you want to pronounce it, probably Yahweh, Yahweh, probably Yahweh, represents something much more than that. Because it represents, uh, if you go to the uh, King James, or not the King James, but the, uh, the references that we have in, um, in this case, it's the BDB, which is the Briggs Driver and something dictionary. It's a Hebrew dictionary. It refers to Jehovah. In this case, they write down Jehovah, but it's the Tetragrammaton, which is YHWH, as the existing one or the self-existing one. So the word Lord, as used in the King James Version, capital L-O-R-D, doesn't convey to us what was originally intended. We know what that means because we often use the term eternal, the eternal God, which has a, a similar basis. But it seems like the name of God has been marginalized. So we have those individuals that won't even use the word God. Bill, if you write, read literature from the sacred name groups, they'll have capital G, hyphen, O, no, no, O, capital G, hyphen D. They don't want to even write the word God down there because they think that that's blasphemous. It's, it's, it's taking God's name in a way that uh, it's, it's using liberties with God's name that would be sacrilegious, that would be just wrong, that would be sinful. Uh, uh, um, and so you have that aspect and you have the Jews who would not even write the name down. Even when they were writing the... the when they were uh, transcribing the Levites and the priests were transcribing, they would dress, they would wash, and they would dress in white garments, and they would carefully, meticulously write things down, count every letter to make sure that everything was perfect. But when they came to the word, the Tetragrammaton, they would not write it. It was too holy to be written in their eyes. So they took it to another degree. Now, it's interesting when we look at, at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, that God says, I am the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He gave Israel, and, and, and really the symbolism is phenomenal because we're coming to the time of Passover, but the result of, of that was a whole series of, of, um, of plagues, these miracles that took place, which culminated in the miracle of the killing of the lamb and putting the blood over the doorposts and the lintels so that, they, that, that those, the firstborns who were under that uh, roof were now saved. It was a miracle that took place. And all the symbolism that we recognize, how that points to us, how we came out of our spiritual Egypt, how the blood of the Lamb spared us, our lives. And, and when crossing the Red Sea, as in we read in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, how crossing the Red Sea, and all those things that Israel went through were, were written for our admonition, for, for those of us in the end time. So we have that. So that's for us to, re, to be reminded of. All the symbolism there is for us to, be, to reflect on. But when God writes... And I brought you out of the land of Egypt, and he gave them freedom. Because we're talking about here freedom. And what does he do? He gives them, he gives them the law, the Ten Commandments, plus the other laws that branch off from the Ten Commandments. Not to, once again, bring people under into some form of captivity, which some would think that, that we, 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 we bring upon ourselves by, by wanting to obey the law of God. They think, well, all we've done is we've given ourselves uh, another... another uh, We've, we've enclosed ourselves in this law now, and now we're, we're captives to it. Now we become enslaved to the law instead of being free. But in reality, what God was doing was giving us 
the very character and the nature that would harmonize with him so that we could have total freedom, real freedom. And the Ten Commandments were a form of real freedom. And, and, and what had happened is this morphing that takes place over a period of time is we have these uh, commandments that have got, become so um, magn- not magnified. That's not the word I want to use. That, that the Jews in generally, the Pharisees in particular, um, added and, and hedged in the word of God that it actually became a burden. They, it, they actually became oppressive to the people of God. And in one sense, that's what's happening with, with the third commandment as well, is that they wouldn't even dare pronounce it. They wouldn't even dare write it down. They've taken a commandment that's a, that's a beautiful commandment, and they've made it oppressive. They've made it so that now... Um, instead of it being f- freeing us in a wonderful way by revealing to us who God is, it's actually made it um, a burden to us, unfortunately. So we don't—they don't even want to pronounce the name. So that's the—that's the other extreme. That's the other extreme. Now I would—I would just add here that. Um, you know, there are many that would argue that you have to pronounce it a certain way. Like I read a lot of literature on this. It would be Yahweh or Yahweh or Yahweh or Jehovah or Yehovah. There are different things, and some of them were a combination of consonants and vowels in such a way that you came up with the word Jehovah. We know how that blend takes place. The reality is that nobody knows exactly how to pronounce it. So am I breaking the commandment because I somehow, God hasn't conveyed to me the exact pronunciation of that name? Um, The answer, of course, is, that was a rhetorical question. Of course, the the answer is no. The answer is no. It is the attitude in which we use his name and represent his name. I can't emphasize that enough. It is the attitude in which we use his name and represent his name. Now, we know that people use use the name uh, flippantly um, and in a way that's disrespectful. Most of the time, they don't even realize they're saying it. Most people that you see in society, they're just using, they use all kinds of vernacular terms and it just become part of their their, their filler words, like I might say A or whatever. They just use these filler words. makes them, makes them feel strong or whatever, or, or tough. I don't know what it is. I, think, I don't think it's limited to guys, but, but um, it, it, there is a propensity for guys to do it because it makes us feel uh, foolishly um, uh, tough, use these words, you know. Anyway, um, <coughs> But listen to Ephesians 4 and verse 29. You can turn there if you want to with me. Ephesians 4 and verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. There's a lot there. And if you you use terminology that is... Uh, flippant towards God it reflects an attitude towards God and as I was saying before it's not that that's not unimportant it is important that we when we use God's name 
in whatever way we use it, whether we use it in the terms of uh, uh, Yahweh or we use God or we use the word Lord, whatever, however we use the name of God, uh, we, used to, we need to use it in a way that is um, respectful and, and, and uh, um, on, it honors God in a way that honors God not flippantly but there's much more to that and we'd be remiss and that's what I really want to focus on today we'd be remiss in seeing this commandment as simply that and yet that's the way it's often portrayed I just want to uh, uh, talk a little bit about about the word name because um, I have it written down here somewhere the word name if I may go backtrack here a little bit because I've skipped over a bit um Okay, let me just, the word name is uh, spelt like shame. Name and shame, it's, so the Hebrew word is shame. That's kind of totally the opposite of what we want to convey by this. But the word name is, it means shame. And, and it, is, it is an identifying um, means of, of uh, it's, it's a means, of, rather it's a means of identifying an individual. So Rick Dubler is a name. So you say the word Rick Dubler, and all of a sudden, you know, well, I know who that is. Uh, so it's the guy with uh, gray hair and brown jacket. So he lives in Alora, right? So that's, but it's much more than that because, uh, but initially that's all it is. Because if you don't know me, if you don't know me, that's all it is. It's a, okay, I've got a name. I know where he lives. He's, you know, got a family, he's a chiropractor. Um, so now you're learning a little bit more about who I am. And then when you really get to know me, when you really get to know me, the name actually starts to represent something much more than that. So hopefully you see me in, in a good light. Or it could, be, it could be you say, well, Rick Dubler, oh yeah. When I think of Rick Dubler, I think of somebody that maybe um, easily gets angry or, or maybe it's a good quality. Maybe, it's, maybe he's patient and he's kind. All of a sudden, the more I get to know who you are, the more you get to know who I am, all of a sudden the name takes on greater meaning. So, you know, what it says, in, um, and we read this all the time at Passover time, it says um, that they may know you, Jesus Christ is praying to the Father, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. To know is, 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 a, is, a, is a word that means far more than we, just not just to re- recognize that there is a God, but to actually know in an intimate way the very character and nature of God. And so and as we get to the point where we understand and, 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 and get to know God in an intimate way, in Jesus Christ in an intimate way, all of a sudden those names take on meaning. They take on a, a deeper meaning. And so the, the, the longer we, be, we live the Christian life, the more we understand the mind of God through his word, the more we live that word, and understand who God is and recognize the very characteristics of God, all of a sudden that name means something very special. We don't use this today, but when God named someone or when someone was named, um, for instance, Abraham, Abram was name was changed to Abraham, father of nations. It was given, he was given a name that has specific meaning for something about him um, or, or Jacob. Uh, where it talks, it, 
Jacob, it was, his name was chained to Jacob, which, which means prince with God, or one who contends with God. So we have these names that actually reflect something about the individual. But the name Yahweh uh, conveys something to us, or the word Lord, as it is in the uh, King James, um, conveys something to us about his, 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 his the, the God of, of life. He's, he's self-existent. Uh, and the more we get to know about God, the more we understand the character of the God, all of a sudden we connect with that person. Let me give you a negative characteristic or a negative name. We name our children about people, with people that we've probably, who we've, maybe somebody that's in the, a movie star or somebody that we really like. <clears throat> that happens quite a bit, I'm sure. Uh, one of the uh, men that came, used to come in our office, his name was Denver. Well, his mother loved John Denver, so she named her son Denver because there was something about John Denver that was really special, and so she wanted to name him something special. But how many people would name their child Adolf? Because what happens when you think of the word Adolf? Immediately you think of this individual who was a murderer, who was a fanatic, who was crazy man, because we've come to attribute a certain char- the, all these characteristics to that name. And it's the same thing with God. The more we come to understand who God is in a very positive way, the more we, ref- we, we um, um, connect the characteristics of God with that name. So, so I'm going to read through the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia what they have to say here. Yeah, yeah, about Yahweh, the tetragrammaton, which means four letters, four consonants. In addition to the general names and qualifying names, uh, and we can talk about the qualifying names as well, God also bears a qualifying name that is, that is his Old Testament par excellence, the character, that characterizes him as the living God of revelation and reconciliation in a particular way, and that thus comes to have the nature of a proper name. Yahweh is derived from the Hebrew root word meaning to be. And God used this root word in Exodus 3, verse 14. You can write that in your notes. When Moses, said to, to, uh, when Moses asked God to reveal to him his name, God responded by using this particular root word for to be and said, I am who I am. Or perhaps I will be what I will be. So then in addition to that, of course, we have these descriptives. We have this tetragrammaton and we have descriptives. Like we have, for example, um, Yahweh Jiri or Yiri, um, the, the eternal who provides or the life giver who provides. We have um, Yahweh Nisi, the eternal, our banner, or Yahweh Shalom. We know, all know the word Shalom. Uh, God, God or Yahweh or the eternal our peace or Yahweh Nisi um, nor Rafika, Yahweh Rafika, uh, the eternal God our healer. All of these descriptives help us to better understand who who God is. So the so the name of God is in itself doesn't have any magical power. But but in it, but it, but when we come to understand who God is, it in our hearts in our minds, 
we relate to that name and the characteristics of what God um, reveals to us. There are other ways that we can, and I'll I'll elaborate on that a little bit more, but um, I want to just digress here just a little bit. Uh, In Hebrews 6 and verse 13, God swears by his own name. He says that there can be no greater way that he can make a pronouncement, a promise, and to give us hope by by swearing by his own name. There is no greater way that um, a Christian can swear than by the name of God. And yet we in the churches of God have generally said um, it's not a good idea to swear because in James it says that you do not swear uh, by what's in heaven or what's on earth, but uh, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. In other words, you should be of the kind of character that um, is so solid that when you give your word on something, they know that you will stand by that. Your word is your bond. They can trust you. Because you're a Christian, in essence, because in one sense, it's like we've made an oath with God when we were baptized, when we made that commitment, when we repented and we, we accepted Jesus Christ on our behalf, and, and uh, he forgave us our sins, and we were baptized, and we received his Holy Spirit. We made a covenant with God. That, that's where the word Mary comes in, that, that one word when we take. We have a relationship with God. When we take his name, we formed a relationship with God. And in, in essence, we made an oath with God that we were going to obey him and we were going to follow him. We're In one sense, we don't need to swear by anything anymore. We made that oath when we were baptized. We made a commitment to God that we would, we would obey him and be, and, and, and be people of integrity. And so I don't need to – if, if I'm living the life that um, is exemplary of – the very character of God, then, then I don't need to um, put my hand on the Bible and say I swear by the Word of God that I'm going to, you know, you, you know the, the the statement that you make in court, um, and again that's where I go with bearing false witness, is that um, I do solemnly swear uh, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. The term so help me God is that. God, and help me to do these things because, humanly speaking, there's only so much I can do. So help me, God. So when you, when you say that, you are um, supposedly um, in, in the public se- sector within the courts, usually, um, are saying that um, because you are a Christian, because you obey God, because you believe in the Bible, that now, having said that, that your word uh, stands true, and you would not defy or dare to in any way blaspheme God by doing otherwise. The point is that those people who do not believe in the Bible, who do not believe in God, who disobey God all the time, readily put their hand on the Bible and swear by it and lie. On the other hand, the person that really believes what's in the Scripture and really wants to be follow God's way doesn't need to put on their their hand on the Bible and swear by God because that is part of who their na- that's their nature to do so, and and yet um, if you look, turn with me to Leviticus 19, I'm going somewhere with this in case you're wondering because I'm taking a bit of a side trip here, but I'm going somewhere with this um, in Levit- Leviticus 19 and verse 12, and I've got that in my uh, printed printed notes here, so I'm going to get there a little faster than you. 
It says, do not swear falsely by my name. And so profane the name of your God. I am Yahweh. So in other words, the, that um, how, how can I take God's name in vain? What are ways that I can take God's name in vain? Yes, I can use his name flippantly. But here we have another example where if I swear falsely by the name of God, that is to say that as someone who's representing God, as a child of God, as a Christian, as um, a, a son of God, a daughter of God, um, if I swear falsely, if I bear false witness, what I'm doing now is I'm profaning the name of God. I'm taking his name in vain. The word, the word. Now let's let's go to another another word in that um, particular commandment. And I know that I've I've um, in trying to condense this, I've skipped over a few things. But the word name. It's here somewhere, but let's let's just carry on here. The the, uh, the the word name can mean all kinds of different things, um, but one thing it can it can mean is it can mean your reputation. It can mean your reputation. In Proverbs twenty two verse one, it says, "A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed as better than silver or gold." So when we talk about the name of God. We're not talking necessarily about the Tetragrammaton. We're talking about God's character again, his reputation. And God is extremely concerned about his reputation. Throughout Scripture, I can't remember any word that I've read in anywhere from Genesis to Revelation where somebody used God's name frivolously where God has condemned them. Not that we should do that. But I can't see how that particular commandment, the third commandment, refers to using um, a word other than, say, Yahweh or Jehovah or, or Yeshua. Um, I can't see that anywhere in the Scripture. But I see over and over and over again where people have discredited God by their actions. Um, turn with me to Ezekiel 36 and verses 18 to 28. Ezekiel 36. So I'm not condoning... Um, absolutely not condoning um, using God's name in a flippant way. But I don't think that's primarily what God's talking about here. In verse 18, Therefore I poured out my fury on them for the blood, for the blood they had shed on the land and for their idols with which they had defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries, and I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. And when they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. What did they do? Did they use the word Lord instead of the word um, Yahweh? No, that's not what he's talking about here. They profaned my holy name when they said to them, They are the people of the Lord. And they have gone out into the out of his land, but I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. 
it was through their actions that they discredited God. The nation of Israel was the people of God. And they represented God. And their idolatry and their, and, and their licentiousness brought discredit to God. They misrepresented God. And God is saying that he cherishes his name, that is his reputation, and yet Israel did not. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever, they, wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which, they, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in, in their minds, in their midst rather, and the nations shall know that I am Yahweh, or the Lord, the Lord, the Yahweh, the, your, the God, your God, says the Lord of, God, of the Lord God, when I am hallowed in, hallowed in you before their eyes. So what God is saying here that He's going to act in a way to ensure that the nations around don't perceive Him the merciful, forgiving, understanding God who took care of Israel of all these years as being anything but that. And so he's overlooking in one sense. He's, um, he's going to be merciful to them, not because they deserve the mercy, but because of his reputation among the nations around there. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of the, all the countries, and bring you into your own land. And then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean, and I will cleanse you from all the, your filthiness and from all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and, and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I, that I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. So God is telling them here that he's going to, out of his mercy, bring them back to their promised land. He's going to clean them up, and finally they're going to represent him in such a way that the nations around will glorify him. God is concerned about his name, not the tetragrammaton, but the reputation that he has among the nations. And, and really, um, his reputation even amongst his own people, his people that he called. I want to go to that word married again, the word married. Um, that was one of the possible translations for the word take. Now, when Grace and I got married, a long time ago now, she took, she took my name. And when we become children of God, we take his name. There's a covenant that's there with us and God. A, a lifetime, uh, actually uh, an eternity of commitment that we make with God. And when we make that commitment, it's, there is no, there is no um, it's for better, for worse, for whatever. There, is, there are no possible ways. Uh, we made that commitment unconditionally to God. We are going to obey you and commit ourselves to you. A marriage relationship has some limitations, but it's the same thing. You've made a commitment to one another till death do you part. Regardless of what the consequences are, you've made that commitment. And she took my name on. Now, if my wife, who took my name, as Israel did, became a harlot, she's going to 
take my name in vain. She's going to, uh, she's going to discredit who I am, my family, my, my, and, 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 and my reputation. So um, in this case, the commitment that we make with God is, is, um, is an eternal commitment. And it is to his name, that is to his reputation. Um, fortunately, uh, you know, God is so merciful to us that, that we do make mistakes. And, and sometimes all of us at one time or another have um, discredited God through our actions. Um, and we have the safety net called grace. And we come back to God and we come back to Jesus Christ and God forgives us even as, even as he forgave Israel. And he cleans us up. And, uh, um, and yet that commitment is there. It's, it, it's an unending commitment. Um, and the bottom line is that um, when we take his name, we could use the word Christian, but in one sense we're the, we're the children. Christ is our older brother. We, we take on the, the name of God himself. Um, when we when we become born into the family of God, or when we become begotten into the family of God, it's like it's like it already exists before it's it's uh, actually finalized and taken place. It's like a it's like a, uh, when you become betrothed, there's that relationship that's there. Turn with me to Malachi one. We're only going to have a couple of more scriptures here, and then I'll conclude. Uh, Malachi one and verse six. got that printed out too so it's easy for me to get to it um, a son honors his father and a servant his master if I am a father where is the honor due to me if I am a master where is the respect due to me says the Lord in other words this is Yahweh again the Lord Almighty it is you or priests who show contempt for my name they were taking the name of the Lord their God in vain by dishonoring him, by disrespecting him. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar, but you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind, you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled, diseased animals, is that not wrong? And then he goes on, and I don't want to elaborate on this too much, but when we come before God as a living sacrifice and we don't give him our best, our very best, we're doing exactly what, what God is condemning the, the priests here for doing, is bringing before him uh, offerings that are defiled, that are less than perfect. And God wants us to come before him in a way that we uh, are living sacrifices to him. That will honor him. And, and turn to Malachi 6. I'm just going to skip way down here. Malachi 6. And tying with what we just read there. In verse 4 it says, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. Again, just like the, the way he began the, the Ten Commandments. And skip down to verse 8. He has showed you, O oh man, what is good. What does God require of you? Now he was condemning them for all the things that they did that were contemptible to him, that were a disgrace to his name, his reputation. And he says, now this is what I want. He says, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
Listen, O Lord. Listen, the Lord is calling to the city. And and to fear your name is wisdom. Heed the rod of the one who who appointed it. Uh, uh, Micah 6, I'm sorry. (laughs) Micah 6. I got stuck on Malachi from... So, uh, yeah, even have in my note that it's Micah. Um, Micah 6, famous part of the... So Micah 6 in, in verse 4, which says he brought, brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery. And he says, this is what I want in verse 8. I want you to, to um, do what is good and, and to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly before your, with, with your God. Um, and, in, and if you skipped with me down to uh, Romans, um, Romans 2, Romans 2. Romans 2. Two more, two more verses here. Romans 2 and verse 17. Indeed you, call, indeed, you are called a Jew. Um, and I read a couple of places. I don't know if this is correct. Correct me if I'm wrong. But Jew means uh, one who praises Yahweh. Is that true? Does anybody know that for sure? Read that on the internet. Jew means one who praises Yahweh. Anyway. Fits the sermon. Maybe it is. Indeed, you have, you are called a Jew, and rest and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know His will, and and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of, out of the law. Sounds all good so far, doesn't it? And are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and the truth in the law. You, therefore, now he's talking about their hypocrisy. This is what you think and how you perceive you are, how you want to present yourself. He says, you, therefore, who teach another, do you not need, do you not need teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? And then he goes in verse, in chap, in verse 24 of chapter 2 of Romans. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Because of your hypocrisy. But now we're entering a time, of course, uh, uh, as we prepare for the Days of Unleavened Bread. And we need to reflect on some of these things. But... One of the things Paul says, we need to keep the feast with sincerity and truth. With sincerity and truth. And these people were so caught up in their religion and the facade and, this, and, and presenting themselves as so righteous. And yet the bottom line is that they were hypocrites. And in so doing, because it wasn't evident to themselves, but it was certainly evident to, to Paul and, and evident to, to God. Um, they were blaspheming the name of God. You see, it wasn't that they were using the word Yahweh improperly or, or the word, you know, using Lord instead of Jehovah. It was the fact that they were living a life that was hip- hypocritical. And these were the people of God. When people looked at them, they related to God. And so when they were hypocrites, it discredited the name of God. That's what God was telling them through, through the Apostle Paul. And one last scripture in 
Thessalonians. I have it here somewhere. First, Second Thessalonians, and verse one, in chapter one. Second Thessalonians in chapter one. Verses eleven and twelve. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling, count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of his of faith and with power, that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our Lord, our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is telling the Thessalonians if they want to magnify the name of God, if they want to glorify the name of God, if they want to make the name of God take take the name of God on, make that covenant with God and make it fruitful, this is what they need to do. This is what they need to do. In the book of Common Prayer, which I think is, I just, I don't know where I got this, but I, I read it at one time and I wrote it down. It, had, it is this little prayer, which I think is appropriate. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy holy name. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.